1: For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
2: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 30th. This is the 29th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, I'm going to be chatting with a very talented management hospitality advisor. But before I introduce her, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed-around questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to seize opportunities. Now, if you listen to my show regularly, regularly, it's a weird word, okay, (laughs) you know that my PR tips are usually life tips too. And today's tip is no different. In PR, you need to be on your toes and make things happen. So take advantage of opportunities that come your way, such as when you're in the right place at the right time, introduce yourself to a potential client or writer or chef. And in life, take that open reservation at the hard-to-get-into restaurant when it becomes available. Seize the moment whenever you can. It will bring results and good things. Now, I'm excited my guest today. It is Tara Berman. She's the founder and managing partner of Tara Page Group a leading business advisor to the hospitality industry. Tara is an expert, an industry expert on business planning, conceptual development, accounting and financial management, operations, and overall strategic guidance for early-stage brands and growing enterprises. Tara earned her certified public accounting license in 1997. And in 2002, after her completion of culinary school at the Institute of Culinary Education, she started her tenure in the kitchen of the French Laundry, and then continued to work with the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group in management. She founded Terrapage Group in 2007. So welcome.
3: Thank you. So happy to be here.
2: I'm happy to have you. And it's just, life is funny because, as we will see later on the show, I I went to a Thomas Keller restaurant for my solo dining experience.
3: Uh, what? one did you go to
2: the French Laundry? I I planned this last minute trip, so um, when I saw that in your in your bio, I was like, of course, this is just
3: perfect. <laughs> and, and probably eating at the French Laundry as a solo diner is, is probably the best way to eat there.
2: You know, it really it really was, and I think when you a lot of people don't do fine dining on their own. Uh, and I think the the benefit of it is you really get the experience and you get to, you're so involved in the food and the service and you just get to really take it all in. Yeah, so.
3: certainly. And they're certainly a place that, you know, takes solo diners as very special guests. Yes.
2: Yes. They treated me quite well. It's amazing. So I will talk a little more about that later. So I wanted to see, now you made this switch from CPA to culinary school. So...
3: What inspired that? that? Yes, exactly. Well, I have to say it probably started back when I was probably very young and when I was even in high school. And I wanted to go to culinary school. And it just seemed like the natural route was I should probably go off and, and, you know, go get my bachelor's. And so even though I very much wanted to go to culinary school at that point, I went into, um, you know, college and then I graduated with accounting. I earned my CPA I then went to investment banking. I was with J.P. Morgan. And after about, I guess, seven years of, you know, having a career in, in banking and finance, I really thought, okay, now I can I can go do this and I really want to follow my dream. And I want to do something that I felt passionate about. And so I then entered Institute of Culinary Education in um, probably 2000 and, 2001. Wow. Well, you spent a lot of time
2: working in finance but that's that gets you to where you are today it is and I
3: think it really set my business up uh, very very well uh, because I was able to work in the kitchen I was able to you know work in the front and you know the general manager at Bouchon Bakery and then went on to open up uh, you know their uh, location in Las Vegas went back out to Yontville for some time and worked in the bakery there and as well as the bistro that's amazing. So what was, what was that experience like? To work for the group? Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I mean a tenure, what does, that, what does that really entail?
3: You know, it was an, I have to say it was probably one of the most incredible experiences uh, working with the group. Uh, certainly even, I could say, when I started at the very beginning when I was just an extern at the French Laundry and really learning, you know, it was my first kitchen I worked in. So. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, wow. So I think I was a little spoiled. Oh, yeah. well, it's, it's like <laughs>
2: someone saying their first dinner out was going to right. French Laundry.
3: Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. but it was great for me because coming from a background, um, from an accountant standpoint, what was so wonderful about the French Laundry is everything had a process and there was a way to do everything. Um, and I love that. So, there was not to say that there was a wrong or a right, but from the moment you walked in, you knew that, okay, this is how the day was going to progress. And that, and that was great. And my accounting background, really married well with the Kitchen of the French Laundry. Yeah, so when you went to culinary school, were you thinking
2: you wanted to be a chef, or you were just thinking you wanted experience cooking, and
3: so you could move do something else? It's interesting, when I went, I was determined I was going to open up a tapas restaurant. And so, you still could. Right, still could. <laughs> right, I, <laughs> I still think about it, think about it. Uh, but that is what I, I wanted to open, was a tapas restaurant, so I did want to be a chef. And um, just through a series of, I think, you know, uh, people that I've worked with and even at the French Laundry, they knew that my background in finance. And so they kind of pulled me in to when we opened up per se, as opposed to joining as a cook, they asked if I can join in operations. And nice. um, at first, actually, I was a little disappointed because I thought Are my cooking skills not good enough. And um, but it seemed like it was such a great opportunity to see this opening of this incredible restaurant. So I feel like it really, um, it was a good move for me.
2: Yeah, I would, I would think so. And, and I went to cooking school a really long time ago thinking I wanted to be a chef and fell into PR. So I, and I, I think just having that experience, it just helps me day to day with what I do now. I I
3: didn't, I didn't know that you did. I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: I went, I mean, I went to the cooking Academy of Chicago, which is a small school. This is in 1997 really long time ago uh but i loved i loved cooking school i loved the hands-on experience and um yeah it was fascinating and then i went to charlie trotter's which was i felt like grad school
3: so in a sense our backgrounds are very similar similar yeah absolutely i think you know especially in this industry there's something about uh respect and earning your stripes about working in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and so i think you know having that beginning foundation and then taking that to really what you, you know, and for me, I, I really enjoy numbers and I enjoy operations. And so that's the piece that I specialize in, but knowing that background and, and understanding how the kitchen runs makes me, you know, uh, so much better at the job that I do today. Yeah, absolutely. So did you, did you always want to have your own business? Cause then you
2: started Terra Page Group in 2007, right? In 2007. Okay.
3: You know, I, I don't know if I thought about having my own business, but I know that I really, I always enjoyed to create things and to build things and to think out of the box. And so when I was at the Thomas Keller Group with at, the, at Bouchon Bakery, I was thinking about what is my next step. And what I realized is I really enjoyed working with um, owners and chefs in understanding how to build the best restaurant from an operational standpoint and a financial standpoint. And so for me, it just felt natural that, you know, I want to just go out and I want to do that and I want to help others do that. So who was your first client out? So it's interesting. My first client actually was Nat Sherman. They're a cigar company. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and um, I was introduced through that to them through a colleague uh, of mine. And they were opening up a private lounge. They had just moved their flagship location from 42nd and 5th, and they moved to 42nd between 5th and Madison. And they were doing a private lounge downstairs where they were serving you know, cocktails as well as food with the cigars. And so I worked with them for about a period of nine months. I remember that. I don't know if I, I went. I it's, it's a wonderful family. It's third generation, really, really great people. So for me, it was a fantastic first client.
2: Very cool. And so then you transitioned, or you you got into representing some restaurants. Yeah, well, that was that did have did. a food service element. So.
3: Yes, and right away, actually, as I was working with uh, Nat Sherman, I started working with Tribeca Treats. Okay, which uh, is downtown in Tribeca, and they're a bakery. So my my no my business is uh, the firm is really focused on. Fast casual concepts and retail shops and and bakeries, cafes, markets, um, and so you know we work with a lot of different clients in that in that respect. So so what? How does the process work when you are these? Was that an opening
2: that that you you come in and you? Well, tell me more about about what
3: you do, and then let me tell tell sure. tell your story. Sure. <laughs> So our, our firm has two divisions and okay. um, we do advisory work and we also do accounting and financial management. And so the advisory work is, you know, as you had mentioned in the beginning, we work with early stage companies. We work with companies that maybe are not as profitable as they'd like to be, or feel that they need sort of a, um, a redress as well as companies that are expanding. And so if it's a, um, the advisory work, we start out at the very, very beginning. People come to us and they'll say, I want to open up a bakery. And we say, okay, great. <laughs> what, what kind of bakery do you want to open? And so they'll go more into the type of bakery. And so we really, with the client, we develop the, the concept with them. And that typically takes about three, three months, and we put together a business plan. So we're developing the concept. Uh, we're really understanding the competitive analysis out there. Uh, who you know other bakeries are what the pricing is what the flow is of the bakery so we work a lot with clients you know especially in the retail space and the fast casual space it's so important to have a really good flow and to have that great mm-hmm. guest experience and um and then through that we we do all the financials um you know all the budgeting and the analysis
2: yeah up until you said the financial part i was like yeah i I want to do that. That's 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 what I, I mean. That the consulting part, the the branding, um, the financial part. I think that's when it gets tricky because you're, I mean, it, you're you're looking at the numbers and, and what's going to work. And in New York, the market's really well, tough.
3: It, it is very tough, and that's exactly it. A lot of people, uh, clients, will come to us, you know, owners and CEOs, and they'll say, you know, so Tara, we want to open up this bakery. Um, can you just run the numbers for us? And of course, we can go back to our, our desks and we can run the numbers, but you know, for us, that's not really doing the job, because mm-hmm. the job is really understanding the concept that they want, and so understanding the products that they're going to put out, understanding the production in the kitchen, uh, understanding the staffing that they're going to need, and you know, putting through all the costs, what location they want to go into, how that's going to affect rent, how it's going to affect their transaction counts, um, if it's a a fast casual concept that has a cafe in there as well then we'll look at the covers so how many seats are in the restaurant and um once we really understand what's going to differentiate this concept then we can start to build the financials then it's it's very easy for us to do but we can't really build the financials unless we we understand you know where you want to enter in the marketplace
2: right well that makes sense (laughs) okay cool we're going to take a quick break here so stay with us this is on the industry on heritage radio network
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
2: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Tara Berman of Tara Page Group, a management hospitality advisor group. And uh, so, Tara, so let's talk more about some of the clients you're working with now. Um, fast Casual, more... You're working with Haven's Kitchen, right?
3: We Yes, we uh, worked with Haven's Kitchen probably for about a year. And... Um, Allison, you know, she's a tremendously star- smart woman and already had a business plan. And so when when I joined her, it was uh, really refining the business plan and refining the numbers and the operations. And so she had found her location, and then um, I worked with her on, again, just all the, you know, setting up the business.
2: And for people who don't know, explain the – it's a, it's different. I mean, I, it's – um it's it, – it's a retail location, but they also have classes. I, I saw—I th- haven't taken any classes there, but I've—I've I've toured the space <laughs> myself. It's, I kind of walked in. I was like, let me check this out. Yeah, it's a, it's
3: a really wonderful space. It's uh, she has retail classes, uh, or I should say classes—cooking classes, culinary classes. Uh, she has a retail space in front, whereby they sell coffee and baked goods and sandwiches. Most of it's you know they make in house, and then they uh, do events as well. And events has really become a big part of the business. And so they probably have done uh, hundreds of weddings there already. Weddings? They do. Really? mm mm-hmm. they, they have a great space for it. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. The designers did a great job. It's really nice. And, and um, you know, so right now, you know, we've um, most of our, I would say probably 60% of our clients are early stage companies. And so those are the companies that come to us where we start from a business plan. So right now, we're working uh, with four concepts that are early-stage companies. Um, One, we just signed a lease on the Upper East Side. It's going to be an international bakery. And um, the owner is uh, Brazilian and um, has a really great idea and concept of what she wants to do. Um, they'll, They'll probably open in December. And uh, we're also working with a, another great group of individuals really passionate about what they want to do, and it's going to be a fast, casual, kosher concept.
2: Fast, casual, kosher.
3: And so the real interesting part here is for us, in, in running the numbers, is you know, because they're kosher, they also are, are celebrating Sabbath. And so they close from Friday night to you know, Saturday, Saturday evening. And so we're really trying to figure out the best concept that will allow them to do that and still be financially successful. It's
2: challenging. I think kosher restaurants have ha- had had that challenge. They have. Um, cause there's some steakhouses and it's, yeah, they close when you're typically the busiest.
3: Friday, Saturday nights are mm-hmm. the busiest. So it's right. been a, um, it's, it's, it's really put us to, to work really hard on it and to really think about what products to sell, when to sell them, how to sell them, how to you know really think creatively about the space. So we're working on the business plan now with them. Um, we've worked with uh, Cake Boss Cafe. They're on uh, 42nd and 8th. It's, um, I'll have to check it out. I haven't been there. Cake Boss Cafe is part of Carlos Bakery. Okay. So, um,
2: It's not the Food Network Cake it is. Boss. Oh, it is? It is. Oh, okay. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured or else there might be, might be a lawsuit with name, right? No, no, no. <laughs> so it is, um, it's actually owned by the Discovery Channel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Well. Uh, the location on 42nd and 8th. When did that open? They opened probably a year ago. Yeah, I would say a year ago they opened.
2: All right. I have to... Every time I walk down um, 9th and 8th towards Tell's Kitchen, it's constantly changing. Well, New York is constantly changing, but that neighborhood just seems to be... Getting more and more places in a small amount of
3: space. <laughs> it is, and so what we do with them, and what we uh, do with a lot of clients that we work with that are have already opened, so existing clients, mm-hmm. is, you know, they just um, they want to maximize their revenue and really understand uh, their expenses a bit more, and so we come in and we actually do an audit, which has been you know re- very successful for companies. And we, at the end of it, we provide a strategic report. So we come in, we really dig deep into all their financials. We look at their POS, their numbers. Uh, we look at the labor reporting. We run all the analytics and, and slice and dice it every which way. And then we also come in and, and do on-site observations. So we'll spend time at the retail shop. If they have a commissary, we'll go to the commissary. We want to understand the production from the commissary to the retail store. Um, and then at the end, we give them this report on... You know, they don't need us to come in and tell them that their food cost is high because they already know that. Instead we come in and tell them how to reduce their food costs.
2: I think it's so important what you do, and I think it's great. I think I also think the word audit just scares people. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's that's But it's it's not a like a yeah, no it's not it's coming it's from not that, it it's not that audit, it's your yeah, audit. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Exactly. So um I wanted to ask you I had a Question from my last guests that I had on—they, I had on Cameron Levkoff and Michael Saltis. They're from the Sea, which is a cul- the culinary entertainment agency. So they wanted to know if you advise for bringing a restaurant concept public, a restaurant group or, or chain such as a Shake Shack, and we were talking about Crumbs because I'm sure you're well aware of the news
3: sure. with Crumbs. So, what do you? What's your advice on on that? Sure. Well, I think. You know, the first thing is, you know, before you can even think about going public, you have to have a really strong concept and really strong uh, business plan, and certainly a concept that is replicable. And so, again, a lot of the clients that we work with are full into that space, into that replication, so something like a crumbs um, or a shake shack. It's in the fast, casual world. And to go public, though, not everyone can get to go public. So, in order to do that, you certainly need a number of locations and you need to be proven in many different markets. So, you need to be proven, say, in New York, in Boston, in DC, Chicago, San Francisco, uh, that you can actually, you know, your concept can work. Because New York, you know, everyone loves food here, but can your concept work, say, in Nebraska?
2: But they say you can make it here, you can can make make it it anywhere. anywhere. (laughs)
3: Exactly. That is true. Um, but, so, maybe, but maybe not so. Maybe not so much with food. And, um, but going public is not, is not, I would say, the norm. And you have to think about why you want to go public. Uh, maybe the owners are looking for an exit plan, and they want to go public so they can cash out. So that, that's certainly a reason why companies would go public. Maybe you want to go public because you're really looking for that cash infusion. And so it depends on um, why you would want to go public, and I think it's something that, Certainly, the business should really think about because there's good and bad to it, right? Because once you go public, then you're really, almost in a sense, working for the shareholders as opposed to the to the guests.
2: Right. Well, factor in all those decisions before going public.
3: Yes. What what
2: what are the most common mistakes you see restaurateurs making?
3: Um, or- I'm going to say not hiring the. Not Good high. advisors. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, I, I think that, that is, though. I think it's really important because opening a restaurant has so many moving parts to it. So, sure, people like us, but I think it's also just everyone. So it's it's bringing in a great PR firm. It's bringing in an architect that really, you know, not is a great architect, but an architect that understands your vision. So it's it's about finding people that have been there, done that, but also people not just, again, that have the great name, but you really connect with and you trust. And I think that that's really important because building a restaurant, you can't do it on your own. You really need good people around you that have, that have experienced it and can help you through the pitfalls.
2: Yeah, I agree with all that. What about, uh,
3: what was I going to
2: say? Um, the, the challenges you find with working with restaurants. Or, or what are the what are what are your favorite parts, and then what are your least favorite
3: parts? Sure. So, I think you know, for me, the the great thing is, and you know, and I would say even for for my team is that we work with really, fortunately, we've worked with really great people, and for us, it's it's about the relationship, and about building the relationship with the client, and so that's that's the most special part. Because it becomes, you know, because the work we do is, is very intensive and we're really building or helping to expand the concept with the client, it's, um, it, it has to be a good relationship. And, you know, through that, though, there could be a challenge with that because every relationship is very different and every client is very different. And so I have to say every client likes to connect in a different way. And so we just need to be very flexible to how that client likes to work.
2: Yeah flexible they're all different (laughs) (laughs) certainly well very cool okay we're going to take another break here and we're going to come back we're going to do my speed round and talk some industry news so stay with us this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio
1: Network The Great Distinction Seeds upon your lands, I'll oh, burn me down. Let me wear your golden crown. So when I meet Saint Peter, I don't let you down. I'm rich in hot but poor at prose. They teach you to rhyme. But nobody grows A slap
0: in the mouth
1: And a push off a cliff Sit on the sea And let yourself drift Break my grief And pull me out Of a heartbreak hole But leave some doubt
2: good- Welcome back to Own in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Baer. My guest today is Tara Berman of Tara Page Group, and it's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm <laughs> going to name two things, and you just pick your preference. Okay. Okay. Eat in or eat out?
3: That's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't say this was going to be easy. <laughs> I love to cook, so I, I'm going to say probably eat in. Okay. Yeah. Wine, beer, or cocktail? cocktail tasting menu or a la carte a la carte I like I like to choose a lot of different things from the menu
2: I get that limited a little with the Mm -hmm. tasting well limited in a different way
3: yes small plates or large plates small plates definitely I like to share sharing's good
2: tipping or all-inclusive charge
3: um you know it doesn't bother me if there's an all-inclusive um But I think the tipping, it it feels good to do that. So I would say probably tipping. Tipping it is. Communal table or chef's counter? I like both, but I'm going to have to go with chef's counter. Okay.
2: French laundry the French laundry or per se? Oh, that's tough.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I've eaten at the French laundry more, I'm going to have to say the French laundry. A good way to rationalize it. Yes. <laughs> How about IPO or private equity? Well, I think both are hard to come by in the industry, but I think private equity you're going to get certainly faster than an IPO. It's a world I don't know much about, but I will I will say, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> How about cheese plate or dessert? Oh, definitely Cheese. We could start with cheese actually. Start with cheese, move into dessert. Right.
2: Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Definitely Brooklyn. Yeah, I knew I knew you're a Brooklyn girl.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, very cool. You did well.
3: Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. Good. I actually I was just thinking about the, the beer wine or cocktail and I'm like I should have said sake. Ah,
2: that's my first sake answer. I don't I, I mean I, I I don't give a whole array of choices. <laughs> That's great. I didn't Editing know, West. and I wouldn't have guessed. Hot or cold?
3: Um, cold. Yeah. Very cool. Goes well with sushi.
2: Yes, it does. So does green tea. So does green tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk some industry news. So today in the New York Times, Pete Wells reviewed Russ and Daughter's Cafe. He gave it two stars and uh it was a very nice review. I I went there for lunch and I I mean it's uh, it's good Jewish deli food. I mean it's it's you know <laughs> we're waiting and the guy brought me a knish. It was uh, it was fun. So, have you been there?
3: You know, I I haven't yet, but I have to tell you I've been it's I've been trying to get there and for some reason I just haven't been down there. And um I'm so excited that they opened this because I know that Nikki and Josh have been wanting to open this for a long time. You know, I had met them probably just right when I started my business, and they had talked even then about opening up this cafe. So I think it's tremendous that they finally did. And I think there's a need, certainly, in the marketplace for it. People want that type of food. And the challenge for Russ and Daughters is that everyone, you know, you walk up and you get your bagel with your schmear and your lox, and people want to sit, and so... For Russ and daughters, they really they saw the need and they said, "Let's create it." So we have that for our guests.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it was a great call and the location down on the lower it's side. Perfect. Yeah, because you worked with them. I at did. Some point? I okay.
3: uh, in the very beginning when they were just uh, thinking about this idea. Yeah. So it's it's wonderful that they finally opened. Yeah, I was happy for them. It was a great review. It was yeah. a it was a really nice review, and everything sounds great. And I think. We probably, though, if we're going to go, we should probably bring a lot of friends and get the caviar and and be prepared to spend.
2: Well, it's not cheap. That's right. The, that's the one thing. And I think in his article he was saying, like, no one gets the caviar.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> or the this, this special sturgeon.
2: Right, right. Now everyone knows the secrets yep. if, you, if you are willing to spend the money. Right. Yeah, well, happy for them. Very cool. Another article in the New York Times from a couple of days ago was by Julia Moskin. It was called Hold the Regret, Fast Food Seeks Virtuous Side. And this, I thought was appropriate for us to talk about because it's about the rapidly growing regional chains around the country that are offering what she was calling Mm -hmm. farm-to-counter. Mentioning Tender Greens, Life Kitchen, Sweet Green. My my client was not in the article, but Exke, this Belgium
3: restaurant concept, I think fits into that as well. Yeah, absolutely, and... I think you know the thing about fast casual that's happening and that people are guests are loving and and operators are loving is that you know you're taking the same ingredients that are happening in a full service restaurant, but you're bringing it to a more accessible and a you know more accessible crowd and in a more approachable way, and i'd say even in a more fun way and so from the guest perspective, they're able to you know partake in this food, which maybe was too expensive otherwise. And from an operator perspective, if you can really create the operations that are seamless, you can have a home run in terms of, you know, um, multiplying these concepts. And so a lot of high-end chefs are really wanting to open up a fast, casual concept because they see the returns in, in terms of the financials.
2: Yeah, well, that's like Little Beat with Franklin Becker. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, since you do, I mean, you have you seen this trend coming since that's kind of what... Absolutely. I mean,
3: we've worked with, and um, it would be tough for us to mention some names, but we've worked with some very high-end chefs and um, that are working on these concepts. Uh, because, again, fine dining, you know, it's it's, it's very hard to maintain that level of service and consistency on a daily basis and then as well to get the financial returns where if you can take those same ingredients and package it in a way and produce it in a way that maybe saves you on labor um, maybe the portion size is smaller or you know different, so it saves you on food cost, and um, you can get more people to enjoy that type of food. Then it can really be successful for you.
2: Yeah, I agree. And what other just one? We didn't talk all about the other fast casual places you're working with, or who else? Who else are you representing now?
3: Sure. So um, we're working. Um, we've been working with Financier. They are a, a French patisserie. Uh, they have. Um, I'm familiar
2: with them. It's a they, very nice place. It
3: is. And they have uh, nine locations in New York, New York City. Um, we've worked with um, the Dynex group. Um, very which nice. Was, which was amazing. Danielle is he's fantastic. Yeah, so that was really special for us. And um, currently, um, we're actually right after uh, the radio show, I'm going to a press event for Noble Tree Coffee. It's a new company that um, is just in the process of launching. And they have uh, two farms in Brazil. And they're opening up a roaster here in Red Hook. As well as a... um, They're slated for three retail stores in the next year. So it's very, very exciting for them.
2: Oh, that is exciting. It is. Sounds sounds like a good evening ahead. (laughs) Absolutely. Great. Now, let's see. Another article I had... Interesting you mentioned Brazil, because I think one of these companies started there. So it was in the New York Times. It was, the article is called For Coconut Waters, A Street Fight for Shelf Space. It was by David Siegel. And it was all about how in 2004, the launch of two coconut water companies that were kind of started exact same time one is Vita Zoco Vita Coco and the other one is Zyco and Zyco has been acquired by Coca-Cola and um, yeah it's like a huge industry now saying it's now a 400 million a year plus Mm -hmm. growing business
3: yeah you know As time has gone on in the last couple of years, and I think this goes to the fast casual concepts, so it's not just chef-driven, it's also consumer-driven. And more and more people want to know about what they're consuming in their body, and coconut water is fantastic for you. And so if you're going to grab just you know a regular bottled water, say Dasani or Poland Spring, or you can have coconut water and get all these vitamins, Mm -hmm. it feels good. And so I think there's, as you had mentioned, I mean, it's a huge industry and I think we'll continue uh, to be a really big industry.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. You know, it's nice. My parents live in Florida and they have a coconut trees <laughs> now in the backyard. Someone planted. Sorry, them. Are you
3: really saying that you're starting a, a coconut? No,
2: no. But I'll tell you what's <laughs> awesome is I go down there and we take the coconuts down and, and my parents figured out the right way to to open them up, and we just stick a straw right in it, and it's you just got to chill it, you know, chill because I only like coconut water when it's really, really of course. cold. But, yeah, we're not starting a business, but it's... Um, you will be soon. It saves, saves $4.
3: <laughs> well, the coconut water is very expensive. Yeah, it is. I mean, just the other day I was at Schmergersburg, and I saw that, you know, there's one of the vendors is selling basically what you had just mentioned. Uh, so yeah, just a right? coconut split in half straw and, and off they go it's the best it is
2: yeah and it's, it's and you, yeah you feel like you're drinking something that's good for
3: you you are so, and it, it feels better and again mm-hmm. more and more people are um, interested in what they're consuming and their bodies and understanding where the food is coming from and you know it started with really organic food but now it's moved into local and, and just really in general now it's about sourcing the product
2: yeah it is so I don't think coconut water is going anywhere <laughs> no um And lastly, I just wanted to give a shout out to Jim Meehan. There was an announcement that he is moving to Portland. He is the founder head bartender uh of p d t which is one of the most popular cocktail bars in new york city and really a pioneer in Mm -hmm. mixology and all that and he's moving to portland so happy for portland they're getting a great guy and uh jeff bell his partner here will be will be running the day-to-day operations and then also today i saw that sam sifton at the new york times is now becoming the food editor which they're they're changing the food section a little bit they're growing it they're expanding it they're going to do more things which is very cool for
3: our world that's great
2: That's really great. So congratulations to both of you. Okay, we're going to take one more break here and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Now, first, I wanted to mention that I wrote an article on Fathom, an amazing travel website, on my recent solo dining experiences in Spain. It's titled, I Conquered Spain's Best Restaurants All By Myself. And I also wrote tips for the Ask Fathom column, Help, I'm Dining Alone. So if you want to check them out, it's at fathomaway.com. Okay, now this week, the reason I was out of town last week was uh, I took an epic, spontaneous solo dining adventure to Napa Valley, where I had never been before, because I got a last minute reservation at Thomas Keller's The French Laundry. And so I seized the moment. I planned this trip and I packed in a lot in a couple days. So I'm not going to tell you about the awesome hot air balloon ride or the relaxing mud bath in Calistoga or the visit to the impressive CIA in Graystone, But instead, I'm going to talk about my fabulous experience at the French Laundry. So first I got there. My reservation wasn't, was at nine o'clock. So I got there right before the sun was going down and I toured the gorgeous garden, which is so impressive, especially coming from New York City where there's so much land and space. And I was wearing my four inch heels and somehow I managed to, to, to walk around this grass area because it was so lovely. And then at the restaurant, I mean, it's just so charming. They have this amazing patio area, and the whole space feels very intimate. And the service, they just welcome. From the moment I walked in, they they made me feel welcome. And I sat in the cove, which was downstairs, which was kind of like a little nook. It felt, I think they do private parties there sometimes. And the dinner was just amazing. I, I did the regular chef's tasting menu, which is over 12 courses. So from the classic oysters and pearls to sweet butter poached Maine lobster to a roulette of Liberty Farm Peking duck, it was all unbelievable. And what's nice is, you know, the vegetables and everything, you know, are super fresh. They're coming from right across the street.
3: So, Sherry, I have to ask you, what was your favorite course? What was the most memorable for you?
2: I mean, I I I hate I'd had it before, but I'm still gonna go back to the oysters and pearls because I think it's just one of those dishes he does that's just works so so well. It's so I mean, it's so rich and it's so decadent, but you're just you're like, wow, right? Yeah, I get it. But it was all I you know, it's just it's it it was all it was all great, and um, what was nice was when I, at the end, I, I went into the kitchen, I and I wasn't sure if he was there, and Thomas Keller was there. And I I spoke with him, and I think he was appreciated that I flew across the country to come to his restaurant. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I think he, he less appreciated the fact that I told him he should open a Bouchon in New York City. Because <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bouchon late night the
3: Bouchon's night before. great as well. And
2: I was like, why? why don't we have this in New York? I mean, we have this Bouchon Bakery. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I, I
3: I have... You could could go to Los Angeles or Las Vegas for Bouchon. I I could, yes. We just need one on the East Coast.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, he's, I just have such great respect for him and everything he does in the culinary community. And he's just such a nice, warm man. Like, he just made me feel so good just from the few minutes I was talking to him. And, um... Yeah, I'm so glad I, I I got to go. It was it was it was a you know the once in a lifetime sort of experience. And I booked this trip, and uh,
3: no reg- no regrets. That's amazing. You know, when I was there at uh, the French Laundry was so many years ago, the garden was right next to the you know the French Laundry itself. But my understanding now is they have a garden, a, a really nice garden slash farm across the street.
2: It it, it it well that's yes that's what I was referring to. There was there were two goats. Oh my god! Because I yeah, by
3: the That's greenhouse amazing. area. Okay.
2: Yeah, I was like, I mean, I, I looked ridiculous because I was like, I was really in these high heels, and <laughs> I I wanted to see it, so I was
3: kind of like schlepping or whatever, hopping through it. However, <laughs> you want to say. Um, well, I don't. It doesn't sound uh, too dissimilar to when my first day at the French Laundry, when uh, they my first task I had to do as an extern was water the garden, and having grown up in in New York City and grew up in an apartment building, watering the garden seemed very strange to me, Um, so I can understand about the high hills.
2: Yeah, well, it might, you know, might have been good for the soil to give a little, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was, it was a really special experience, and the whole, it's just, eh. Yeah, it's uh, Yountville, Na- Napa. Beautiful. It's all—I mean, just driving around and passing all the wineries. It's especially when you're a city, city person, and then you go into all this nature and this Makes vast amount a of land. Bit. Yeah, and and breathe the fresh air. And it's it's, yeah, I I love traveling. <laughs> so it was great. And if anyone wants to check out the French Laundry, their website is frenchlaundry.com dot com and and try to get a reservation or seize the moment if one comes available. That's my <laughs> tip. Okay, so Tara, we're we're getting to the end of the show, so I want to see if you could ask a question for my guest next week. Now I'm having on Tracy Niporrent. He is the director of marketing and partner at the Marriott Restaurant Group, and he is the chairman of NYC and Company Restaurants Committee which we are now in NYC Restaurant Week for the summer, or Restaurant Month, or Restaurant Week, so however you want to call
0: it.
3: Yeah, so I'm, I'm working with a uh, chef right now that's uh, the restaurant that she's working at is participating in Restaurant Week. And I have to say the chef is actually leaving the restaurant to work with us uh, on our bakery. <clears throat> but the question that she had asked us and that I'm going to ask is... Um, you know from the restaurants that participate in restaurant week, is there any sort of metric or do they understand what the return is in terms of the repeat customers so the- the guests that come you know during restaurant week do they, you know how many of them actually come back to the restaurant um, again, and those that yeah. are regular guests of the restaurant do they actually participate in restaurant week
2: that's those are those are great questions because I yeah, I'm curious to see what he says because
3: I, I I think my my clients as well like to know those answers. Right, because I know yeah. that restaurant week I mean it's fantastic because you do it keeps the restaurants mm-hmm. really really busy during that week, and um, you know but it's also stressful because you may change the menu a little bit. Uh, you're packing in more people than maybe you would the prior week. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I'll see what Tracy says. I'm excited he's going to come on the show next week. Okay, so we're, we're done here, so this thank you so, nice. so much. Well, thank you. Well, it was great to have you on the show and learn more about what you're doing and see you. It's been a while. It's been a long time, and I think we need to plan something sooner than... Sooner than later. Sooner than later. Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so my guest today has been Tara Berman of Tara Page Group. Her website is tarapage.com. That's T-A-R-A-P-A-I-G-E.com. And social media is Tara Page Group at Terrapage Group. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and if you miss us live, you can always find us at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on Stitchers and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and all you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in again next week. I'll be back Wednesday at four o'clock. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.